0: chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Jesus calls his first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake in Esarif, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw that the waters edged two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Church. We're continuing on on our mini two-part sermon series called "Beating Burnout." Uh, this part two uh, of of two, of two, and next week we have Millie Cash, uh, formerly Millie Lee, uh, who's the campus ministry uh, pastor for University Christian Ministries, which is a ministry we support up at SFU. Uh, she will be coming uh, to share about her work uh, and to encourage us, and to also kickstart uh, the first week of Advent. Let's just pray again uh, before we go into Word. God, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you, God, for your grace that's truly sufficient for us. No matter what weeks we've had, no matter the days that we've had this week, God, uh, you've been good through it all. And this, at this moment now, as you go into your Word, may you use me to be your mouthpiece. Uh, may may be words of grace and truth that come. And may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to comprehend you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I was saying, uh, we are on part two of two on the series, uh, Beating Burnout, and I'm titling the sermon this morning, The Healing Properties of Community, and if you remember from last week, if you had a chance to come on out, uh, just talked about how for us to uh, be healed uh, 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 from our burnout, we need to experience the spiritual things of God, that we need to seek Him out. And this week, uh, as we learned to seek God out last week, we learned to seek Him more, this week, but especially through community and how God heals us from burnout, from uh, heals us from burnout with the community that He has placed us in. It's a quick summary. How do we know if we're experiencing burnout? Burnout is often characterized by this lacking enthusiasm, things that you're excited about before. It's been a little bit more of a challenge for you. Uh, maybe lacking uh, activity, so you've been inactive, whether it's in your faith or whether it's at work or with your friends and relationships, that there's a pulling away from that because you're tired and it's emotionally taxing for you to be part of that. Or maybe it's the presence of stagnation, what I that mean by that? Is that there are things that once gave you life, now you're not really excited about those things anymore, that you're feeling uh, stagnant in your faith, that there are parts of your faith now that don't excite you, you feel like you're stuck, you feel like you're confused, you have questions of of why you're doing what you're doing, and you're feeling a sense of, purposelessness. As as one writer puts it, burnout implies that our problem is a lack of energy. But burnout is not from a lack of energy. It is from a lack of meaning. That often when we're experiencing burnout, we we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We, We feel lost in the life that we have. And burnout starts happening when you struggle to see why you're doing what you're doing. You don't understand why you've been placed here and why you're you're having these conversations or, or why you go around and and why you do what you do every single day so the solution uh, to burnout often isn't just to rest and i think we can throw that as a cliche statement out there like someone's like i'm feeling burnt out and feeling tired you're like maybe you need to sleep uh, maybe <laughs> sleep uh, is part of the rest but or maybe you got to eat something and maybe that could help uh, as well but Often the solution to burnout, if it really is burnout, burnt, being burnt out, it's not simply rest. It's not just eating, uh, getting something to eat or getting sleeper because uh, getting more sleep. It's because when you do those things, you're still feeling e- exhausted. It's actually, the solution is actually to address something that's way deeper inside of us. Questions like what happened in our past that causes us to do what we do today? What are the traumas in our lives that leads us to our current patterns or why are we so hard on ourselves? That when we do need rest, and we need to be easier on ourselves. When God's saying, my yoke is easy, we're, not, we're saying, yeah, God, your yoke is easy, but the yoke I place on myself, it's not. I expect a lot from myself. As Jen Hess says in her article at Gospel Coalition, she labels three myths that fuel burnout. The first myth is we have to do it all. The second myth is God needs us. And the third myth is we have to do it all alone. That when we get stuck into these three myths, it leads to us feeling a sense of burnout. And as I was uh, sharing about the storm that was happening a couple weeks ago, I was watching the trees behind our our, our home just swaying, and some of them are cracking, and some of them are breaking. And, and, And I came to this illustration, this understanding of what's the difference between being stressed and being burnt out. You see when you're being stressed it's just like the branches that we see there's a little bit of give right there's a little bit of flexing when you're stressed there's bending but when you're not feeling stress is a recovery back to the original state but when you feel burnt out it's actually stress over and over and over again stress over and over and over again where there is no release eventually what happens if I'm strong enough <laughs> it snaps When there is stress and there's recovery and there's time to recover, it goes back to the original state, but burnout is a snapping. And what you need from burnout isn't just to be like, hey, sleep a little more, branch, you know, like get a little bit more nutrients. You know, maybe that'll be okay. No, you need a full healing. You need someone to come in. You need something to come in to fully heal and put us back together. And with this illustration, I want to, bring us to the big idea this morning is that there are healing properties from being in community that when we're burnt out and when we're broken and feeling snapped and broken and left on the wayside that maybe it's the community and the people that god brings into our lives that brings us back into wholeness just think of the times when you were struggling alone and then there are times when you're struggling with people around you. It's a little bit different, right? When you're fighting for a cause and you're struggling and fighting, the times when you're on a sports team or where you're grinding out that assignment together or studying for that exam together, when you're working late uh, together, there's a sense of camaraderie, there's a sense of drive, there's a sense of purpose. But when you're doing it alone, that's, that's different, and how much more so should it be in those times when we said you've experienced community and, and when you're studying at work or in other aspects of life, how much more community, how much more of the healing properties should we experience from others from a gospel community, from the church, because the gospel saves and the gospel heals. The gospel brings us back uh, to wholeness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he says this, a Christian, fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses what if one of the solutions or the healing uh, the ways that we heal from burnout is the people that god has brought from around us that we are the answer in a way to the prayer that god is saying hey you're tired and you're feeling anxious and you're feeling burnt out and left on the wayside well i've given you people all around to bring about healing to support you to intercede for you and to pray with you, And as you think about the text this morning, Jesus, he's, he's always been about people. He's busy, he's doing a lot of things, but he's always been about people. He's always loved and cared for people around you. See, sure, Jesus, he was busy preaching to crowds, but his message, even those to the crowd, is always to the invi- individual as well. It's always personal. It's always personal. There's always that personal word to the, pers- the individual a person. Why? It wasn't about efficiency. It wasn't. Hey, he preached in crowds because you know is this is more efficient. <laughs> no, he preached and he he brought the word of God not because it's efficient in big crowds, but because it's it's about transformation. It's about the words that are coming out of his mouth that are transforming people's hearts. Those healing people right in front of him, and it wasn't to get them to do something or to be something, but it really was to. Transform and to heal them all together. See the context of this chapter. uh, Before chapter 5, Jesus, he was pretty busy. In chapter 4, he was tested in the wilderness. He was rejected in his hometown uh, of Lazarus. He goes to drive out uh, demons and, and the impure spirits and heals many. In fact, he drove out the evil spirits and they were coming out and confessing, Hey, it's the Holy One of God. And he was like, Silence! The demons knew who he was. He was telling, Don't tell them, don't reveal to the people around who I am. He'll cast out another demon and they'll proclaim, You're the Son of God. It's like, Shh. People need to discover that for themselves. People need to know who I am, experience me personally. And Jesus is continuing on in chapter five here, Luke 5, and his healing ministries. And this time, it's not healing, uh, driving out demons uh, per se, but he's healing and transforming. His own disciples. And we see this, that, that yes, God brings together community for our healing. But there are certain things we need to understand about busyness that we learn from Jesus. That being busy does not need to lead to burnout. Because Jesus himself was busy. He, I just kind of outlined in a very sh- short uh, summary of all the things that Jesus was doing, continues to do. He is a pretty busy person. Imagine answering the prayers of everyone in the universe. That's, you know... That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Listening to to everyone. See, so yes, he's Jesus, but that's exactly the point here. That it's important for us to follow Jesus because he is our example. Jesus was a busy is a busy man, but it doesn't mean it necessarily needs to lead to burnout. We read this in verse in chapter one here, that he was standing there by the lake, and what the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus is busy. He's being crowded by so many people with so many demands. And some of you, as I talk about that, you're already cringing. <laughs> being busy and needed isn't always a bad thing, actually, because they were crowding around to do what? They're crowding around to listen to the Word of God. There's a need. There's a need for something greater, for something more, for a meaning and a purpose to their life. And being busy can actually be neutral, I would argue, to begin with. It just depends on why we're busy and why we're doing what we're doing. As Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, which I recommend for us to read, busyness does not mean you're a a faithful or fruitful Christian. It only means you're busy, just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. Another quote from his book says it this way, asking us the question of why we're doing what we're doing. The question is, am I trying to do good, or am I trying to make myself look good? Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why is it that I'm busy? And it's interesting here because we're introducing the idea that busyness does not equate to faithfulness. That often we can fill our our time with a lot of things. We're like, hey, we're busy for God. We're doing great things for God. Maybe maybe that's true, but when we're busy, we might be tempted to say we're trying to steward our time and we're doing these things for God. And some of us, we might need to rest, but we lean so far the other way that uh, some of us are saying we don't want to be busy and I'm just trying to be restful that we end up doing nothing at all. Or the other side where we try to uh, show our passion and our faithfulness to God that all we do is being busy and we don't experience any rest. And when we lean to one side or the other, that's never really a good thing the best place is to be where god is is to experience him and to be in his presence and to seek out his will for us we may be busy but i want to argue for us here today that jesus he was never too busy to spend time with god in his times of prayer in his times of reflection in his own time of reading he had a lot going on but he knew his relationship with god the father was the most important Another thing about busyness I want to introduce here is that it's okay to actually build breathing room in our lives. Jesus was crowded, and there were so many demands around him, but what do we see in verse 2 to 3? He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked them to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I love this. As a, as a Commentator uh, Dr. Jay Vernon McGee says every pulpit is a fishing boat. Uh, literally, Jesus in that moment he was about to teach them how to fish for people, and literally he was on the boat fishing for people uh, with his words as he's teaching this lesson uh, to uh, teaching this lesson to his disciples. But even Jesus here, he needed some space. He's like, "Okay, guys, like, <laughs> you know, this is a bit much. All right, <laughs> I need a little bit of breathing room." And even Jesus himself. I needed a bit of room, so he stepped onto the boat and pushed to the shore, not so far away, Uh, they couldn't hear, but it's far enough that there's a little bit of of separation. And maybe this speaks to the importance of having buffer in our lives, having some breathing room, having some space, uh, that we need to uh, create, uh, in, in order for us to create capacity to do the good things that God has called us to, we also need to create a buffer. In order to create capacity, we need to create buffer in our lives. And some of us, and I'm definitely guilty of this, have schedules and lives that are, are packed. They're just packed. And that isn't the issue. It's not the packedness of, uh, of our schedules. That's the issue. The issue is that we don't have a buffer to, to breathe, a buffer to think, a buffer just to be and to rest and to hear from God and to be with God. And for those of us that are parents, uh, I want to acknowledge, we had our parents' fellowship yesterday. And I want to encourage you as well, that maybe, as we become parents, that even then you feel like there's no buffer in our lives. I heard of the story once uh, in a mythical land, and where it truly it can't be true, that all it took to be a good Christian parent was really just to clothe our kids uh, and to listen to them and to feed them and to teach them about Jesus. Surely it can't be that simple. Uh, that's a mythical land. Uh, that exists somewhere out there because why now we have to not only do all of that teach our kids listen to our kids train our kids feed our kids but you know we got to listen to the right music for them while they're sleeping right do we sleep them on their back no it's on the left side of their head i don't know on the right side on the front no that's not good uh, at all we got to teach them how to swim and while playing an, a classical instrument while skating and doing math uh, what else is there uh, this, this put it all on. They need to write an essay while painting a picture. <laughs> I don't know. That <laughs> there's these pressures that we have, and that we feel bombarded by the ways of the world, and it's being difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at that because that's me, and I'm, I, and I'm praying to God. God, help me to find rest. And He's convicting me, saying, "Well, what's most important in life, Doug? Because sometimes we need to say no to the good things, and this applies for all of us." Sometimes we need to say no to the good things so that we can say yes to the best and the most important things in our lives and what's going on. Another Kevin DeYoung quote, many of us live each day not trying to serve, but just to survive. We have to schedule time in order to be unscheduled. I love that. We need to schedule time in in order to be unscheduled, to have a bit of breathing room, maybe to be a bit more like Jesus in that moment, to push out into the boat. Because the question it comes down to, for me, as I'm wrestling with this, of why I struggle with having buffer time, why I struggle doing this and that, and what's best during our current moment, is this question of, is our busyness, that's really leading to this burnout that I'm experiencing, this snapping that I'm going to go towards, is our busyness for God or really for something else? Or for someone else? Luke 5 Luke backwards. Luke 4 to 5 says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. If I were Simon and if I were a fisherman, and that's my profession, I've been trying to catch fish all night, I probably would have given up. At the moment, is sold my nets. I like, forget this. <laughs> Away with my career. I obviously don't know what I'm doing. But Jesus encourages, saying, "Hey, no, let's try again. Come on, you got this. You got this. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, let's do this. Let's push out into the deep water. And this deep water, it's anyone try to swim in, in open water, uh, deep, maybe in the lake or out in the ocean. It's dark. It's murky. It's scary." Uh, and and it, it, it's you don't know it's, unno- it, it's unknown you don't know what's down there so this deep water really represents this unknown this vastness maybe this this chaos in in the Bible as well. But as scary as it is, as unknown as it is, as it might be, if Peter he never listened to the first instruction of launching out into the deep, he would have never seen the miracle that followed you've never listened to that first instruction, even though he was like, I failed, it's not going to work, I, I've tried this before, Jesus, I was just doing this all night, you don't, I, what's this going to do? But he listened, he was saying, but because you say so, because Jesus, you said this, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to do it. See, if Jesus didn't tell them to lower their nets, he wouldn't have done this. And this is fascinating for me as I was studying this text that maybe in the busyness or in the stress that's about to come, they're gonna experience with the fellow people, fellow disciples in the boat, that we'll see that the busyness maybe isn't actually a bad thing because the busyness can actually be caused by Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. That this busyness that they have, this fish that they caught, it's actually caused by Jesus. Let's think about that for a moment. That if he didn't say so, if he didn't tell them to launch into the deep, if he didn't tell them to cast the nets out, they would never have caught the fish. It would never have been heavy. It would they never had to struggle to put it onto the boat. If Jesus never told them to do that to begin with, they would have never have had that opportunity. And that's where what I'm trying to get at here. It's that there's busyness, but we need to understand why we're busy and who we're doing it for and what we're doing it for. Here for the disciples, Jesus was their why. Because you said so. That's it. Simply because you said so. Jesus was their why. And if Jesus is their why, it changes their what. And how they do the what. In Luke 6, uh, uh, we, we continue to see this, that it really comes back down to of who gets the glory here. Because in Luke chapter six, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, we read this. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And it was so much work for them that, again, the nets, they weren't big enough. They were breaking, and the boat began to sink later on in the passage. And then we read in verse 7, uh, jumping to verse 9 to 10, I'll come back to verse 8. So they signaled their, to, the, to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. We see here in these passages that the word uh, partner comes up twice here. Uh, It speaks to partnership. Uh, This partnership, it speaks to uh, a fellowship, a a gathering. It speaks to fellow laborers, co-laborers. The definition that I think of, that that I found, that I discovered that's perhaps the most helpful for us and paints the clearest picture for us is the definition that translates to us to participate in. So to to be partners, to have partnership in this context, is to participate in each other's lives, uh, to have a share in the life of the other person. See, the book of Hebrews, it talks all about this, which essentially is about Christian community. Hebrews 3 to 1 is the same word uh, we see here in Luke chapter 5. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, who participate in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. our Hebrews 3, 14, we have come to share in the same word there, in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Or one more, Hebrews 6, 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in, the same word, who have participated in, who had community in together, experienced together in the Holy Spirit. I'm just thinking about this in the, our call and in our busyness that yes, we all live individual lives and we gotta ask the question of who gets the glory and why am I doing all of this? But we also have to ask the question of why have, has God placed us in the community that he has placed us? Why do we have the people around us? Why are the people around you sitting there right now? Why do we get this privilege and, and opportunity to have these conversations with one another? What if, what if we started thinking in this way, that we have a stake in someone else's life? That I'm going to be personally responsible for the thriving of the other person beside me. That I'm going to be personally responsible for them. How would that affect the way we do community? How would that bring about the healing properties that God has in his gospel community here at church? How would that affect the way we support one another, especially in the way that we experience burnout? What if we look and speak to the person right beside us and say, I'm going to see to it personally that you will be successful and experience the presence of God. I'm going to h- walk together with you to experience Psalm 23 together, to experience the stillness of God together. I'm going to take to it that personally. And you with me, as you walk beside, as you guide me. John Mark Homer in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. I want to argue and use that quote in, in that context of that quote, speaking to today, what if we're known at the end of our lives for how we gave our lives to the people around us? Is that not the ways of Jesus? Is that not how he lived? How does that work? Well, a few very practical points of how the disciples were partners uh, with the other disciples. The disciples, they were partners in listening to God together through prayer and through word. They just talked a lot about the word. They read the word a lot. Of course, they were with the word (laughs) to begin with. but you get my point. They prayed a lot. They had a lot of conversations about spiritual things. But they're training each other to listen to God together. Secondly, they showed up. Right? In, in the passage here, Peter's like, hey, guys, the, the, the net's really heavy. The fish about to break. Uh, the net's about to break. We're going to lose all the fish. And they showed up. They needed help. So the, the, the other disciples, they showed up. That's how they partnered. And thirdly, they supported the weight and the burden literally by taking the heaviness of the net and helping each other carry it. And I think that's a beautiful illustration for us in those three simple ways of, of what it means to be a, a community in Jesus, is to help each other listen to God, to experience God together, to show up in each other's lives, and to be there for one another. And not only that, but to help support one another by knowing the burdens that we have. And it might be as simple as acknowledging each other, not only on the Sundays, but outside. It might be smiling, to one another, just acknowledging each other's presence and saying, hey, like you're known, and you're welcome here, and I want to know you. Or if you know someone, if you're students and and you're studying and you know someone's gonna have an exam, maybe it's just smiling and saying, hey, you're gonna make it through that exam tomorrow. And that's your way of supporting them uh, today. Maybe you feel that call or that text message, maybe it's to remind each other in your own way of the love of Christ, saying, hey, like, I don't know what you're going through but god loves you and god's there for you and he's going to be there for you and it's going to be okay because being a partner means to be associated with one another to be in community means we know each other not walk past each other like strangers but to acknowledge one another that we're associated with one another that we partake in each other's lives that we each other's companions and when and when Peter, when he experienced this community, when he, they caught this fish and he saw this miracle, his response was, was he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Now, why did he have this reaction? I believe it's because he encountered the power and the presence of God. He fished all night. He used all his strength. He tried to do it all himself, and he caught nothing. But here, just because Jesus said so, and he did a simple task of just throwing the nets down, he saw this miracle. And whenever we encounter the power and the presence of God, the right response is always worship. Always worship. Always falling down. uh, Proskenul, that's the Greek word for worship, which means literally to fall down uh, before him. Whenever we experience the power and the presence of God, that's when the, the right reaction, the right attitude is always worship. And that's our call as a community as we experience God together is to fall down into worship. Him together. Be like, God, you're good. God, you're good. That wasn't there before. We didn't experience that before because you called us, because you're leading us, because you said so. I'm gonna We're ex- experiencing this and what you're doing, so we're going to worship you and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna praise you and we're going to honor you and we're going to glorify you. And the passage ends, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. As you might have heard someone else say before, me say before, appears 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year. Do not be afraid. That no matter what it is you're going through, no matter the burnout, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter how beyond hope you feel and how broken you might be feeling, there is hope. And Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. You are still valued. You are still known. You still have use uh, in my kingdom. Just lean closer to me. And we ought to encourage one another as a community here, that we, as we come together, we experience that healing together and I want to end this morning with a story from our very own from, our, from someone in our own congregation who's going through a bone marrow transplant and going through chemo as we speak and just just started this past week and her name uh, the person's name is going to remain anonymous but I do have the permission to share uh, this story uh, and, and she was just saying that it just, this message of burnout this feeling when, when that person is feeling to the end of their wits No strength at all. And I was sharing it to her like, hey, what what are you going to preach on this week? And I'm like, hey, it's talking about community. Uh, It's talking about how God brings healing together, how God uses community to to, to heal us together. And during this moment, when it's the deepest and darkest and most unknown time, she was just sharing with me the power of community. And she said she saw this board of stem cell donors from around the world, and she says this, I am full of appreciation for the donor heroes. They might just think it's a random act of kindness, but for the recipient, it's literally about life and death. I didn't think about who was my neighbor before, but now I know that God brings people. And a community transcends space and transcends rooms and transcends buildings. And as I'm alone in that space, this is my community that God has provided. God has given us a church and a community for a reason. It's not just to come together on Sundays to sing some nice songs and to maybe hear some guys say some words, but it's to experience the real healing that God is doing and really do and can do in our community here. The times when we want to run away the most are the times that we need people the most. And I'm praying that whatever it is that you're experiencing, that, that through community and through the people around you, that they will walk together with you and to beat this burnout, beat this tiredness to support one another, to drive out the tiredness and the burnout that you're going going through. That together, this is a community that God has brought us for this time, for this specific time, for a very specific reason. It's not by coincidence, but for his greater purpose. And may we come together to give him glory together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good, that in moments where we are the most tired and most weak, you are sufficient, your grace is truly sufficient for us. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, those of us that are feeling tired, those of us that are feeling weary, those of us that are going through some of the hardest times of our lives, God, I pray for your presence first in our lives, that we will be filled with your spirit. But God, you would also bring people that you will bring community to surround us to remind us, God, that we are not alone, that we, God, have you and we have each other, that we will keep fighting and we'll keep praying, we'll keep pursuing you together, we'll keep showing up and keep supporting one another. And God, may we, Lord, be filled, be a community filled with stories of transformation, God, of how we experience you because of what you have done. So, Lord, for many of us, maybe it's terrifying to reach out to the other person, to say hi and hello. Maybe some of us are feeling alone and that we are just one person that comes in here. But no, we are joined together by the blood of the Lamb here today and that we are one church. And may you grow in us a heart to care and to love people as you have cared and loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.